0: going on Jermaine Johnson tune in to turn on the Jets podcast hey this is Vinny Pasquantino
1: of the Kansas City Royals make sure you tune into the turn on the Jets podcast On everybody, welcome back to the turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at Will 11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by special guest, I think second time on the show now. We actually got to, you know, meet down in uh, in Indy at the combine, Sam Monson of PFF, PFF NFL Pod. Sam, how are we doing today? Good, good. How's it going? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's Jets Patriots week, which, um, as a kid was a rivalry. Recently, um, as a Yankee fan, I acknowledge that rivalries don't really work if the other team never wins. So, um the Jets have lost 12 out of 12 in a row and twenty out of 22 of the Patriots. So I'm fired up this week because there's a chance we could that could change. Um, obviously, a lot's going on with the Jets early on this year, and they've been a surprise to most, or at least even if the most optimistic person would say they've, they've been at least at expectations or slightly above. And most people, they would probably say they're well above. Um, I guess big picture, and then we'll get into some of the players and some of the matchups and things. What have your impressions? This has kind of been at the Jets through seven weeks. I know you guys talked about it on the show, but um, seven weeks, Jets are five and two. Didn't see this coming. I assume. No, I think they've been impressive. They've uh, they've definitely exceeded my
0: expectations, um, and I think they're obviously moving in the right direction. Like a lot of the things that they've done have have worked out immensely well. You know, some of the areas that they've added players, and this is despite the offensive line being riddled with injuries this year, which is their biggest problem. Like that was supposed to be a top 10 unit. I think heading into the season, it was certainly trending in that direction with all the additions that they've made to it. And they've just been hammered, you know, repeatedly with injuries and losing guys um, consistently all along the way. So for them to be where they are, despite that offensive line getting hit that hard, I think it's really impressive. And a lot of it is driven by almost every move they've made on the defensive side, working out, like they've gone from the worst cornerback room in the NFL to having one of the best cornerback duos in the league in two moves, right? DJ Reed and free agency. Um, Sauce Gardner in, at the top of the draft. Like both those guys look like absolute home run picks. The defensive line, you know, they've been adding players for a while, but getting Carl Lawson back, getting Quinn and Williams playing at the peak of his powers, like the additions that they've made. John Franklin Myers is already a good player, but they're really all working out. And then, you know, guys like Garrett Wilson on the offensive side, looked really good I mean maybe he's being held back a little bit with the change of quarterback and the way that offense has sort of pivoted now with Zach Wilson there but he looks like a, a great addition
1: as well yeah the Jets have been interesting because I was talking about this a little bit this morning of like how many guys did they really add um if you like thought about from last year's roster and camp like how many guys did they really add and then it's like it's not even necessarily it's CJ Mosley playing at a much more CJ Mosley level I mean Con Alexander's obviously been, been a nice addition, but. You know, you look at the safety room, you get a full year of a Marcus Joyner, Jordan Whitehead. Those guys start off the year, I think the first three games, like they were probably two of the 10 worst graded safeties in the league. And then the Marcus Joyner since then, I think, has forced four or five turnovers. Whitehead started to play much better. And then the cornerback play, I think you highlighted has been it's it's really impressive. I think if I'm not mistaken, at least as before the Monday night game, I think they read and, and sauce were two of the top 10 graded corners in the league for you guys, I think Saucer at six and Reed was at nine or 10. Um, but you look at some of the other free agent deals and the jets, you know, that Reed deal looks like a steal now when at the time, everyone's like, Oh, you know, it's a decent amount of money for a smaller zone corner. And JC Jackson's getting a lot of money or, you know, there's some other guys and it's like Reed's been the best one. I'm um, him and Bradbury, obviously, but you mentioned Quinn Williams. Um, great. At, at any metric you look at PFF, pass rush win rate, the tape in general, if you just love tape, stat sheet, traditional stat sheet, he's been unbelievable. And is it almost like an about time moment for Quinn Williams? Because I feel like we've seen this the last couple of years of, we'll see flashes of, oh, he'll have a nice game here or there. And then he goes missing. Now it's like every game feels like a couple quarterback hits, a couple of pressures, some good run game stoppage. I know he had the wonky grade two weeks ago, and that obviously was a, a big thing, but Quinn Williams, wise like he's been as impressive as it gets outside of I guess Aaron Donald, who basically breaks every system he's in.
0: Yeah, and really, if you look at that, there's a lot of these young kind of interior guys that have come into the league the last few years, and they're all playing really well together right now. Like Quinn and Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, you know, all these guys are sort of dominating right at the same time. Derek Brown is having a career year as well. For Quinn I think it makes a lot of sense. It kind of tallies with what his Alabama career was. Like he wasn't dominant from day one and was just a constant superstar in that defense all the way through, it took him a while to get going. And then that final year, he was just crazy. And and particularly as a pass rusher, he was an absolute force. Um, And he sort of felt like a player that might do that in the NFL that would always flash because of the, just the potential and the athletic ability that that he has but it might take a little while for him to really hit his groove and, and become that player at this level. I think that's exactly what's happening. We just reached this point where it's all coming together and now you're getting that Alabama version of Quinn and Williams in the NFL, which I think is always that potential has always been there. We saw that from day one. Um, and yeah, he's like, he's playing absolutely incredibly right now. He's a, a real force. as a pass rusher. He's been good in the run game as well. He's become one of those guys that's just a
1: constant problem in the middle for teams. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I want to transition to sauce, and I'm going to take a little bit of what you said on the show, and I'll let you kind of expand on it, what you guys talked about, I believe, Monday morning. But so the sauce pick, I think everyone kind of was like, the Jets could go in a couple different directions here. Uh, you know, edge rusher, tackle, even receiver. Um, and cornerback was the other one where obviously the room was really empty last year. And yeah, Brandon Eccles has played nicely in his spare, you know, time. And Michael Carter, second's been good. But even when signing Reed, they were still a corner short. I think the expectation was, oh well, he's Sherman, he's Cromartie, he's going to a place where Darrell Revis is, in my opinion, he's the best cover corner ever is like, now he's got Revis and, you know, talk, he's who hasn't talked in media in five years, all of a sudden talking about shot sauce and everything. And, the expectations and during camp, you're like, this is really impressive. Okay. It's training camp. Let's see him in the game. Preseason, really impressive. It's preseason. Even early on, it's like, oh, he's covering Mark Andrews. He's a tight end. The last couple of weeks, it's been constant, like throwing a deep ball at him makes no sense at this point. Like It's not going to work. Maybe you draw a flag, but what I want you to kind of talk about a little bit, I know you guys talked about this, but this level of physicality that the Legion of Boom, you guys kind of mentioned of like, a lot of these guys were so physical that they kind of dictated the game, and it feels like Sauce. While he's only 190 pounds, him and Reed are really physical, especially in kind of the hand fighting, press coverage side of things. Can you kind of just talk a little bit about that and why that's kind of helping Sauce so much right now, where he's grading? I mean, it's just it's unbelievable what we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times DBs are kind of at the mercy of you know the officials and when they're going to throw the flag and what's contact, what's too much contact, and what isn't, and. You know, that you hear all the time about how much preparation NFL teams do, the prep work on officials, you know, and who's going to throw flags and what kind of where their line is and what you can get away with and all those kinds of things. But I think there's also an element in to which these guys can dictate that line themselves, because you can't throw a flag on everything. Right. So if you come into a game as an official and all of a sudden it's just constant physicality in in the routes between the corner and the wide receiver endless hand fighting you know all this kind of stuff you can't throw a flag at every play so if it's going to be a game like that it changes how you're going to officiate it you have to start moving your own line and go okay we're, we're only going to call the really egregious stuff but we're kind of forced into letting them play to an extent because you just you can't go any other way and i think the legion of boom consciously did that where they went into games and said we are going to get more physical on receivers than any other defense and force officials to change the way they call games because you can throw a flag every single play you're going to have to move your line otherwise the game's going to get absurd and they basically force you into making the game more physical i think sauce is doing a similar thing where he's going to get aggressive as much as he can and basically dare the officials to call it and a lot of the times they're not going to do it because it's during the course of uh, a route he's going to be able to kind of entice the receiver into fighting back a little bit and we saw that with Cortland sutton you know the the announcers were saying well it was hand fighting the whole way it was 50 50 even though like sauce is the guy initiating that contact right if there's no contact from sauce maybe they don't maybe Cortland sutton never gets involved in a physical contact because he's just trying to run by the guy But when you institute it, you can kind of create this illusion of this is just hand fighting. This is just 50-50 contact. This is just letting them play. So I think Richard Sherman was great at that for his entire career. Like, I am going to make sure the contact stays for the entirety of this play. I'm going to get my hands on you, and then we're going to fight the whole way down the field, because otherwise you can't get a free release off me. I think Sauce is doing the same kind of thing. And and. Darrell Rivas was always amazing at this as well. He did it in a different way. I think he was a real master at understanding exactly where that line was on any given play and playing just the right side of it. But I think the fact that Sauce is is consciously or or subconsciously, you know, figuring out a way of um, of maintaining that kind of contact and offsetting any kind of disadvantage that he would have otherwise in speed
1: or whatever is huge for his long-term success yeah it's uh something with sauce that's interesting as you mentioned as well it's just he he has like all these veteran tricks of the trade already of you know how to kind of make how to like basically trap a receiver's arm I used to hate that and then that's that's what you kind of mentioned of like it looked like Corlin Sutton was hand fighting him but sauce has got his arm pinned to his side so he's got to get out of it and you see that a lot in soccer and I know we both watch soccer but like a guy will go for a header and he'll literally grab the guy's arm so it looks like it's like, well, he didn't really grab him, but um, kind of the offensive side of the ball. The defense has been awesome. Every metric, again, especially I know they've played some backup quarterbacks, and, and I get that side of things. Obviously, they're carrying them right now. They've created a bunch of turnovers, the pressure rate, all that stuff. Special teams has been really good. I think the Jets have kind of always been a really good special teams unit, and now that they're they have the lead and things like that, they can only can kind of uh, continue to emphasize itself. They're forcing more punts so they can get you know with all that stuff, but. Offensive side of the ball is weird right now because Zach Wilson's had some time where there's times where he's looked pretty good. Clean pocket numbers are fantastic. I know that's usually a translatable year over year. You like That's one of the most kind of translatable stats of if you're good in a clean pocket one year, you're pretty probably going to be good every year. The other side of it is whether it's some free rushers, I understand that. People are going to flood my mentions saying I'm hating on Zach. I'm not. There are some free rushers and there's some missed assignments to the offensive line. It's all true. Um, there's also a lot of spin moves and really weird throws and waiting to throw the ball away to the last second and then not really throwing it away. I think there's a two or Zach's turnover where he throws or literally that where he just could have thrown it away. Have you ever seen something like this where it's like top five in the league in terms of grading out and if it's like clean pocket and then it's it's completely like one out of what is it three out of like 30 or 40 passes and uh were they getting pressured or hurried or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I I don't I've never seen pressure you know splits that are as wild as zach wilson's are right now um there may have been some down the years you know in pff where we haven't paid that close attention to it but certainly nothing that i can think of in recent years where it's been this crazy his pff grade goes from basically 90 from a clean pocket down to 23 when he's pressured that's insane the numbers the actual stats are even worse though like it goes from 9.1 yards per attempt from a clean pocket which is a massively high number to 1.7 yards when he's under pressure that's insane yeah he's completed something like five out of uh 30 something pass attempts under pressure when you look at quick pressure it's even more insane it's like one pass out of 17 um and look it's it's obviously not all his fault because the offensive line we talked about before it's bad right now like they're down to bare bones. They, they're backups across the board. their guys that are not supposed to be starting for them. They're giving up a lot of pressure, but like a lot of these situations, I think it's, it's a kind of perfect storm. It's making everything worse. Like Wilson has been bad under pressure throughout the entirety of his NFL career. And it looks as bad now as it's ever been. And it's being made look worse by the fact that the offensive line is also bad. Right. So it, it's, it's really this, just nightmare right now of if there's pressure at all it's miserable and a lot of people are sort of saying well the Patriots will just blitz you know why would you anything other than just blitz the, cra- the crap out of him right now it's because if you look at his blitz splits they're actually not wild they're basically the same like his numbers are pretty much identical when he's blitz versus when he's not it's really just if you put him under pressure and change you know the course of the play if you make him adjust in the play to, uh uh-oh, it's it's pressure, i got to ad-lib, everything goes to hell, like immediately. And you can kind of see that just from picking any random play where he's under pressure. He doesn't seem to have a plan. It's like, you know, spin, bail, try and extend the play. There's no kind of obvious um, pattern to what he's doing. It's just immediate, like, backyard, sandlot football and doesn't tend to go in
1: a good way. Yeah, it's interesting. I looked at it as like what Zach was coming out of college, what I kind of graded him on. And I looked at a bunch of people I respect to and see like what they kind of talk with Zach about. And it's over in the NFL, he's been this awesome over the meal, over the middle thrower, like all his numbers, especially like 10 to 20 yard window. Like he's as good as it gets right now in the NFL. And that's a lot of scheme. And that's a lot of scheming guys open first read the RPO stuff I know Tua does a lot of it and Herbert and all these other guys as well but Zach's been really good at it and he's really good at the deep outs on play action quick five-step drop boom like when his footwork's really good he looks like a legit NFL quarterback and you go wow this is why you got to take number two overall what's weird to me is he doesn't throw outside the numbers anywhere near as well as I thought he was going to coming out of college which I know that's a lot of coming with the pocket level of competition all that but also it's the even last year, I felt like when he scrambled, I know the numbers weren't great, but it felt like he had a little bit more of a plan. I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's something to do with some of the reps. You miss time in camp. You don't have the good scramble drill kind of um, in the season. You're not really breaking that stuff down, but if you want to be that Rogers, Mahomes, Allen, all those guys, when they break the pocket, it feels like everyone's on the same page. Everyone knows where they're going. Mahomes mm-hmm. always knows where Kelsey is always used to know where Tyreek was and vice versa. And it's not even blaming the Jets receivers right now because I'm like there are guys open it's just it feels like there's just something missing and that's got to get cleaned up because now without breeze hall who running back or not he's been an explosive pass catcher as well obviously their offense built around kind of the run game right now Garrett wilson elijah moore all these guys who are high draft picks that have high potential need to step up and they gotta get the football um how obviously I assume, I think I know you're going to go with this one and I know where I would go, but who's more of a crushing blow for them, Hall or Elijah Vera Tucker, in your opinion, because I know everyone, Brees Hall is the bigger name. He's the running back, obviously. I, I think
0: Vera Tucker is the bigger problem,
1: not necessarily because he's
0: a more important player or because he makes a bigger impact on the offense, but because it's just the next one of those injuries for a unit that's already taken an ass kicking. Like the the thing I think where injuries really, really bite deep in the NFL is when it starts to focus on an individual position group and just keeps hitting that group. And the deeper you go into the depth chart, the bigger the problem is. So Brees Hall's a great player. He was having a great season, but. going one deep into the, the running back depth chart, I think is manageable, particularly when you then go and trade for a uh, James Robinson, like that's a pretty good fallback option, right? Vera Tucker was already what number four, five from, in terms of offensive tackle options. Now you're down to six. Like it's just, it's, that's the problem. It's, it's not that Elijah Vera Tucker isn't there anymore. It's that him being, not being there means you're now down to like the sixth tackle you've had to use this season and
1: that's just like no offensive line can withstand that kind of hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I mean, look. I think the thing with Brees Hall is at least like this is why I think so many people love the Jets off season, love what they've done the last two years, was because they didn't let rest on their laurels of oh Elijah Moore looked nice or Michael Carter is nice. They were like, no, we're gonna go take a running back in the top thirty five and a receiver, and we paid two tight ends. We've paid Corey Davis. We've paid Braxton Barrios. Like we drafted Denzel Mims for whatever it's worth, even though I know it's it's not been pretty. Uh, but there's a lot there, obviously it's kind of on Zach and and I I hate to keep saying this, but like if they don't win 10, we'll get to this in a second. But for me, if they don't win 10 games, it's probably because the quarterback play keeps being getting worse and worse because if you look at their schedule, like the way their defense is playing, the way the run game and special teams is playing. If you get even average quarterback play, I feel like you give yourself a chance pretty much in any week minus at Buffalo and probably at home against Buffalo is going to be a wash as well. Um, We kind of mentioned it there. Obviously the Jets trade for James Robinson, I think it's good value. It's 24 years old. Not a lot of tread on the tires. It's a six-round pick, realistically. Um, you know, that guy's, at, at best, he's going to be James Robinson and, and and all that stuff. The Jets don't have to pay him a lot. Um, do you think they make another move at offensive line or somewhere else? Because, obviously, we saw the Eagles just, you know, the Eagles are going all in, as they should, with Robert Quinn and stuff. And Joe Douglas, in years past, probably sits on his laurels a little bit and says, eh, you know, good start. But, you know, we'll, we'll keep building through the draft. If you're the Jets, I know they're not chiefs or the bills but nobody else really in the afc right now you're going oh wow the jets would be 10 15 point underdogs in a playoff game against them so do you think they go after another alignment or it's more of just let's try to let's try to work through the rest of the year and go from there i think it's tough because the
0: league has an offensive line problem like there aren't you know, nobody's sitting there with like a backup tackle that they're Brandon are you know, really confident in just sort of waiting to, you know, move them or for the right offer, or, you know, just have them sitting there as a great contingency option. Like there are teams that don't have a good starting tackle. There like, it, there's no real quality and depth in offensive lines throughout the NFL. So I think it's tough to find an obvious candidate where you could phone them up and try and make a move trade. Like there's some players out on the street that may end up being, people you should bring in just to take a look at because they might end up being upgrades of what you have but that's the problem with offensive line injuries in the NFL right now is that if you have to go deep into the depth chart there's no quick fix there's no way out because
1: everybody is dealing with a shortage of offensive linemen yeah look the Jets have have tried to fix this problem like they went out and paid a bunch of guys and then they had to go pay Dwayne Brown who then got hurt it's still a George fan who's, you know, look, I guess in the, in theory, the Jets offensive line problems could be fixed in a week or two to an extent with Mitchell and Fant coming back and you hope they could play average right tackle. I know people, I mean, I mentioned him as well, but Lar- Lar- Laramie Tunsell, for example, yes, like in theory, it's great. He's 28 years old in the offseason. You let Fant walk and Tunsil but like he's never played right tackle in the NFL and Dwayne Brown isn't moving. So it doesn't really like that type of stuff is kind of like Madden franchise mode. You change the player's position stuff. That's just, I don't see that happening and the jets already taken three or four guys off the street. So it's like, they've kind of exhausted their options. there. want to get to two things. Patriots coming up. Monday was obviously disgusting for new England. Like that's, Mm. you know, I don't think anyone was uh, upset seeing that. That said, Mac Jones today looks like he'll, he'll be the starter. Um, I was a little surprised, only because I feel like it's pretty, pretty embarrassing as a starting quarterback. You make one turnover off of an injury, that now is on your bench for a guy. just because, like, it felt like Bill wanted to go to Zappy the whole time, and I know he laid a bunch of bullshit of how he was going to alternate two quarterbacks. Doesn't means you usually don't have any. Um, what do we, what do we see from the Patriots right now? Because, I mean, yes, the defense looked good, but they beat Cleveland and Detroit, and it's like. I don't really know that that's as impressive looking back at it now as maybe we thought at the time,
0: yeah, that that was a weird game. Um, and I think Bill Belichick's sort of uh, approach to the quarterback situation was strange as well. I don't think anything is good about that. Um I think Mac Jones should be the starter going forward until he plays his way to the bench. And I don't think he'd done that yet. Um, so, like that is what it is. Mac Jones hasn't been playing well this season, even independent of the the ankle injury. He's been weirdly aggressive with the ball. He's got like a ten yard plus average depth of target, which is right up there with guys like Jameis Winston, which is not necessarily. Not what we thing. saw coming. Yeah. And particularly for a guy like Mac Jones, um, his decision making hasn't been good this year. He's been putting the ball in harm's way a lot. And these are things that are generally like the opposite of what you think of for Mac Jones. So if he doesn't pull himself out of that, then he will at some point probably play his way to the bench. But as an offense, that's a great offensive line for run blocking. They've got great running backs and Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, like they can get a lot done on the ground. Their defense, I don't think is that great. I, I didn't think it would be good at all heading into the year. They've been better than I thought they would be. Um They're like above average as a pass rushing group. They're kind of average in terms of blitz rate, but the big key to that is, well, now they go up against this jets offensive line and it's like anything that's above average is probably going to cause some problems because of, The nature of what you're left with. So that starts to become, you know, Belichick against Zach Wilson generally, and then Belichick plus the ability of New England to actually rush the passer and and cause pressure. And what we just talked about with Zach Wilson of how bad he's been under pressure, like that is where the Jets lose this game if that happens. Like if if they get that amount of pressure and Wilson doesn't figure out how to do a better job under pressure, that's where they're going to cause some problems.
1: Yeah, we look at, if you look back at week two last year, they ended up being 20, either 26 to six or 20 to six, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. I blocked that game out of my memory. But the reason the Jets lost that game was quite literally because Zach Wilson turned the ball over three or four times in the first half. Cause like it was 10 to three at the half still and the Jets defense was on the field for like 28 of the 30 minutes. It felt like, um, the Jets are obviously significantly better than they were last year And New England, I think is probably at least a tick worse, if not two ticks, um, Defensively, I'm curious what the how like New England's gonna try to attack the Jets. Common sense would be just run the football because the Jets are the Jets have been good against the run, but they're still an undersized unit. They're kind of built around like speed and athleticism and kind of just attacking you. But if the Patriots try to get like that's why it's so important for the Jets to take care of the football in this game and try to get a lead early, because if you force Mac Jones to drop back 30, 25, 30, 35 times, with the nature in which he's been turning the ball over, as you mentioned. You trust your corners. Like, I trust Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed against Kendrick Borden and Nelson Aguilar all day, as much as, you know, they're nice players. And I frankly trust, you know, some of the Jets, you know, safeties and stuff and coverage against some of these guys. no one really scares you, I would say, from like a, we have to shut this guy down. Um, Is it crazy for me to say this is kind of a must-win game for the Jets at this point in the year? Five and two, they're at home. They have a stretch of Buffalo, or New England, Buffalo at New England. They haven't beat the Patriots in six years seven years whatever it is like if now's the time to do it like i feel like you kind of have to win on sunday
0: yeah like if if you want to have this season be anything other than like a nice surprise or you know slightly better than anticipated like this is a game you have to win like the jets i think are a better team than the patriots right now Mm -hmm. um and if zach wilson does anything other than play disastrously under pressure they probably have the better quarterback as well so at that point There's no reason they shouldn't be winning. I think both these defenses probably cause some problems for the opposition offense, but the Jets have better corners. They've got better pass rushers. They've got better skill position players. I think even without um, Brees Hall in the lineup, the only, the only place where New England has a real obvious advantage is the offensive line. So, you know, that I think means that if, if the Jets want to go anywhere
1: this year, this is absolutely a game they should be winning. Yeah, and David Andrews, we'll see. I know he's a obviously a really good player. That hit he took on Sunday, or Monday. I don't know if he ended up – I don't know what the report is. We'll see, obviously, today the Patriots are always notoriously uh, fun with injuries, but um, that looked like a concussion from a, a mile away. Um, kind of big-picture expectations for you for the Jets, and then we'll get into just one or two other things quickly and then wrap up here. But is the expectation – is it fair to say, like, at this point, they should be able to try to, like, they should be a team that's aspiring to be a playoff team. Like, can we, is it fair to pass the, oh, like, let's just be relevant in October because, in early November, because it's the 26th of October and they have the second best record in the conference? Like, is it fair, even though it's more of a surprise that fans and this team should be going, we can be a playoff team, whether that's a five seed or a seven seed, obviously. Um, is that fair to say at this point? I
0: mean, internally, that should absolutely be their expectation. Like they're in a good position. They've got a lot of things going for this team. Things are looking up. if particularly if they beat the Patriots, like this is these are all good things. They should absolutely be looking at the playoffs and thinking, we can make you know the postseason. There's no reason that can happen from the outside looking in, I think you have to look at that offensive line and say like that's a long term crippling problem. like that puts a cap on how good you can be. You add that to the fact that Zach Wilson, A, I don't think has been playing particularly well. B has been a disaster under pressure. If that continues, you put those two things together and it's like, that's a really difficult thing to overcome over the course of a season. Sure. You can do it for a few games, but you know, if you're really trying to make the postseason, and and that's going to be a struggle Um, and they don't have the same advantage as some of these other teams have of a division, that's going to leave it wide open for them to go on that kind of run like Buffalo, Arguably the best team in the NFL, certainly one of the top three. Miami with Tua is a very difficult proposition as well. And they are likely to go, you know, to have a good record and, and be a potential playoff team from the same division. So you look at that and you're like, the Jets just don't have as many wins available to them as some of these other teams. Like, you look at the AFC South, right? And the entire division is kind of a mess and any one of those teams could, right. Like if the Jets were in the AFC South, you'd be like, yeah, this team should be looking to win that division by the end of the season. There's no reason they can't. But in the AFC East, it's like, man, that's just a tougher task. And it's definitely, it definitely should be their aim. But if you're realistic about it, instead of saying, what are the chances, you probably still say
1: it's a year too early. Yeah, no, look, I I think, if they win this weekend, this is all hypotheticals, obviously, if they win this weekend and they play Buffalo competitively the week after in MetLife, my expectation is gonna be, if you can hang with Buffalo for three or four quarters, which very much remains to be seen, by the way, but um, that and if you get some offensive line health back, the guys that are on IR that are slot to come back soon, now we're talking like, okay, you've now won a bunch of the games you were supposed to and you're competing with Buffalo, like, you should, I'd feel good. If they lose this weekend and they go get boat raced by Buffalo by 40, you're going, all right, like, try to get to nine wins, try to sneak into the playoffs. If not, then you can start to seriously um, take it from there. Last two quick things. One, um, AFC West-wise, are you slightly surprised that it's just kind of a division of, like, kind of the Chiefs and a lot of dog shit? Or are we... Like, is that just because it feels like the AFC West and the NFC West were like, oh, they're the big, bad divisions, division, yeah. all the primetime games. And meanwhile, you look at the NFC East and the AFC East and like, they're pretty clearly the best divisions this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously the Denver thing has been a disaster so far. Glorious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's a big shock to most people that Russell Wilson, plus that Broncos offense just hasn't worked in any way, shape or form. That obviously changes the whole dynamic of the division immediately. The Raiders, it's been a similar story. That thing hasn't worked, hasn't functioned properly on offense until the last couple of weeks. And then the Chargers, at least, I think you can explain by yeah, they've the had injuries, a lot of right? injuries in some really important positions, um, including Herbert, by the way, who has played, but has been playing with that rib injury that he's been dealing with for the whole time and hasn't been as good as we expected him to be. So that one, at least, I think you can explain away and makes a lot of sense. But definitely the Raiders and the Broncos not being anything like the teams we thought they were going to be heading into the year, I think is is the reason
1: that division just doesn't look as good. Yeah, it's like the Chargers, when you lose your best tackle, your best edge rusher, who are like yeah. two of the best at their position in the league, regardless of anything else, you're kind of screwed. Um, to then lose to sign J.C. Jackson and then him be not only terrible, but now after the year, Mike Williams obviously basically died on Sunday. Her, it's been hurt. It's some be- weird coaching decisions that one that – you know, I know you guys debated a lot on the show. Um, last thing here, kind of like a bigger picture question in terms of just analytics and, and stuff. We don't have to go on a 30-minute tangent about it, but like just quickly, obviously across all sports right now, we're seeing it. Um, anyone that watches baseball knows there's this huge debate in the Yankees of how much analytics drives what they do versus how much control. And look at a team like the Jets whether, or any of these teams in the NFL. A lot of teams are heavily analytic-driven um, as they should be. You should have all the information do you get, what's your level of frustration when you hear the, oh, the analytics told them to do this, or the coach said he doesn't, he doesn't like analytics. Like, does that not grind your gears at some point? Because it's kind of defeating the purpose of the point of analytics, or we, or am I off base on that one?
0: Yeah, I think Nick Wright had a really good kind of diatribe about analytics the other day. He was first saying time needs, was
1: First time ever.
0: It needs like a rebrand, right? Like it's become yeah. this sort of cliche or simplified trope of well the analytics said this the analytics said that most of the time it, it doesn't like people just it's labeling things that isn't actually applicable to any of this kind of stuff right ultimately all analytics is is providing you more information you know with using trends using historical data to predict to best predict your chances of making the right call right like Back in the 1960s, when you would go back and look at the tape of your upcoming opponent, the last four games and cut-ups, and that's that's analytics. It's just analytics using a reel-to-reel, you know, tape. Like, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. All you're doing is cutting out that like dinosaur process of literally splicing film um, together to come up with trends and just pulling it out of a database because that's what we have the capacity to do these days. Right. And then now you can add it to sort of mathematical models and you can actually come up with some hard scientific numbers about what these, what the data, what all the available historical information says are the chances of like this versus this, right. It's just information. Like that's all we're dealing with here. It's never going to say like you must 100% do this. All we're ever talking about is like, this has a 52% edge versus a 48% edge and make of that what you will, right. Make your adjustments or whatever, but everybody should at least be able to understand what the conversation is. So when you hear, you know, an announcer say, wow, the analytics told them to do this. Like, it's just, they don't have any idea what they're talking about. And that's the disappointing part of it is like, they, a haven't been bothered to find out like what this conversation even is, you know, team down two scores, they go for two, the first touchdown. It's not intuitive. It's not the way it's been done for years, but it's quite obvious and and easy to understand once you've heard once what the logic is, right? Once you've had it explained to you one time, it makes perfect sense and you can then (laughs) convey it to other people. When those guys like act like this is the most crazy decision in the world, or just like say, well, the analytics says to go for two, it shows you that they haven't taken five minutes out of their time To figure out what that conversation even even is. And that's laziness. Like that's just negligence in your job. Um, And then I also think like, there's a good argument to say that if they're not going to bother to do it, bring somebody on who will, right? You have a guy sitting there for the entire game to give you 20 seconds of crap when a guy, when there's a weird officiating decision. So you don't have to, right? You don't have to learn the rules because this guy can come in for 20 seconds and tell you what the story is. If that's the approach, do it for analytics as well. Stick a guy in the booth, you can sit there silently for you know almost the entire time, but then when this happens, this guy can explain the
1: thing that you won't bother to explain. That's what's frustrating yeah, and it's look not all of these decisions, as you mentioned, look there's a lot of times there's coaches that make the wrong decision and they lean on oh, analytics told me to do this, and they're lying to you also like there's times where Brandon Staley it'll be forty nine percent don't go and fifty one percent go and he literally or whatever, you know, my point, not go. And he still goes for it. Like that's on him. He's the one making that decision. I think if you look at people's frustration, again, I'm just using the Yankees cause it's a whole debate right now. Like the Yankees have made it clear, like, wait, you're not making any decisions where the numbers, whatever the numbers say, like you have to do. And that's also not smart because it, it shouldn't be the other way. Um, I don't think that Robert solid would just use the jets. For example, like he's has mentioned it multiple times this year. They have a kind of game coach that has all the analytics and says, this third down or this fourth down in this situation whatever here's your choice here are the numbers you make the choice and that's the way it's supposed to be and it's pretty easily yeah. explainable and he's like he said there was a game the Ravens game week one he said I've read the room the offense was struggling even though it said to go for it I punted because I didn't trust my offense fair later in the year he's now done the opposite where he does trust the offense or trust the defense so um, I just kind of want to talk about that because it's a huge thing right now and You saw it on Monday Night Football again last night or two nights ago, where it's just a lot of garbage being said of, oh, I can't stand the analytics. Like Steve Young, you used analytics, buddy, okay? (laughs) Whether you like it or not, I don't think uh, the greatest offensive head coach of all time didn't understand the numbers behind what he was doing. Obviously, make sure you guys are checking out, uh, you know, Sam and Steve on their show, the PFF NFL podcasts, um, kind of a must listen, I feel like and you know, Monday morning, it's, uh, you know, bright and early, nice thing to, to drive to work to get breakdown every single game. So you'll never feel like your team's slighted. They'll get talked about. Don't worry. Um, and then, you know, PFF daily stuff, the PFF app, anything else? Uh, anything else I'm forgetting here? No, that's it. That's a lot. All right, awesome. Now I appreciate it. We got the World Cup coming up in uh, in a month, so I am fired up. Get a nice little Jets game right into the US, probably, you know, sucking, but um other than that, we're we're rolling and uh, appreciate you hopping on. Anytime. Thanks for having me.